Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. In this week's episode, we've got Jordan Barker, CMO at Relic Agency. Is that how you say it? Relic Agency? That's it, man. You got it. Yeah. Cool, man. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about cool agency stuff. Stuff. Yeah. So we uh, we both have experience. Brandon and I have experience with agency stuff. So we're, we're going to be talking about some cool agency stuff. Let's get started. All right, Jordan, uh, at the very beginning of the show, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about yourself, your background, specialties, what you're doing, cool stuff, interesting things that people would want to know about you, regardless of whether they do or not. That's what we want to hear. Sounds good, man. So I'm a Capricorn. Actually, I don't know. I have no clue what I am, to be totally honest Capricorn. with you. Yeah, no clue. Uh, so yeah, I'll tell you a little <laughs> he has, bit. You have no idea, but you pick Capricorn Why? of all of Why, them. Why, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, Relic, we're a full service agency. Um, so what we do, I'm the chief marketing officer there. Uh, purchased a company about two and a half years ago. It was actually a company called Sorensen Advertising. And then we rebranded it to Relic. Relic might sound a little bit like a strange name to call a modern day advertising firm, right? Um, but we feel like we're a bit of a throwback to when agencies were created to make the cash register ring. So that's really where the name Relic comes from. So we really want to be judged on sales, outcomes, pipeline, things like that. Where we differentiate ourselves from, you know, there's a few ways you can structure an agency. One is to be able to focus on tactic, meaning, you know, we are the SEO agency, we're the Facebook agency, et cetera. We try to be a bit more platform agnostic. And we, what we do instead is we focus based off of industry. So we focus on tourism, telecom, and technology. And when we say technology, it's really B2B SaaS is really our main focus. So that's kind of what we're up to. So we offer everything from traditional marketing services, so TV, radio, print, direct mail. And then we also do the kind of full gamut of digital marketing. So marketing automation, paid search, paid social, et cetera. So yeah, man, that's what we're up to. Trying to think of anything crazy that you would want to know about me. Uh, married, got two that kids. That is so crazy. That's Holy crazy, God. right? <laughs> got two kids, a little six-year-old and a three-year-old. But uh, man, that's that's pretty much it. Cool, man. Yeah. What about hobbies? What do you like to do? Are you an outdoors guy? I'm not. I'm kind of boring. I enjoy reading, though. Does that count as I an outdoor reading. hobby? Okay. Yeah. No, so let's dig into that real right. quick. Yeah. What, uh, what genre? So, um, like tween novels for the most part, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like I love Twilight, it. for love example. It. Okay. Not really. So, um, <laughs> you know, really anything that, uh, I like to read, I try to read one business book a month and then kind of a fun, just like brainless novel at the same time. So okay. So two a month. Yeah. So two, two, two books a month, one brainless one kind of brainy. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So because I'm interested in reading, I don't care about the business stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. the one I would care about. I don't well, care about the uh, fine, stuff that you care so, about. Okay. So, so, right. so let's start here right. with, with the non-business book, okay. fiction or non-fiction. Let's go. We're going to go fiction. Okay, fiction. Yep. Fantasy, sci-fi, mystery. We're going to like mystery thriller is kind of my, my jam. Okay, yep. so so give me some authors. So uh, like, any, like Harlan Coben? Like more like uh, I would say any of the like Jack Reacher books. If okay, you're, if political you've read thriller. Any, yeah, political so like, thriller. yeah. I've read every Jack Reacher book. Okay. There are like 24 now. Yep. Is Jack Reacher Tom Clancy? No. No. Is it's, it a similar style? It's Lee Child. Yeah, it's Lee Child, yeah. It's... No, listen, listen. Jack, haven't you seen the movie? It's With Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah, Tom I Cruise. I have, yeah. Okay. Okay, there you go. 
that feels like a Tom Clancy type. No, Tom Clancy is more of like a spy. That's true. Okay. Jack Reacher is an ex military policeman who is like six foot six, 220 pounds, huge, massive guy who just beats the shiz out of people. True. <laughs> and he's played by Tom Cruise, which makes That's zero right. sense. Uh, yeah. You know, I was disappointed when they first announced it, but I think he did a really he good job. He did a good job. Okay. Jack, I love Jack Reacher. Okay. All right. So does that mean you read Vince Flynn? I do. I'm, I'm a love big Vince, Vince Flynn. Flynn fan. I stopped yep. reading after he died, he died yeah. but uh, so sad. Yep. Moment of silence for Vince. <laughs> okay. That's enough. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. So yeah. love it. Fantasy, Brandon Sanderson. I don't know who that is, man. He's a local guy. Okay. One of the biggest fantasy writers ever. He teaches at BYU. Okay. Have you heard of Will of Time? Yes. He finished the series. Okay. So All after right. Robert Jordan died. Okay, this is not a book podcast, but still, you start talking about books and I'm, I'm hooked. We've mm. got like a dead author theme going on here too. So yeah, a little yeah, bit. That's, that's true. Yeah. So Brandon, you want to ask about what business books he listens to? Yeah, or, or is it listening? Oh, sorry. Do? Reads, whatever. I know it's all the same. Okay. Do you uh, listen? I do. I'm more of an audiobook guy. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Makes sense. All right. What was the last business book you read? Man, I'm trying to think. The last one that I read, I'm a big Patrick Lencioni fan. You guys read any of those? No, nope, never heard of Lencioni them. Fan? Okay, cool. That's good. That's that, that's good sign. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I'm on your website right now. Okay. Relicagency.com. Okay. First thing I see, I see the Pistons moving. You got it. That's pretty cool. You got it. It reminds me of the very first um, Gifographic. Is that what we call them? There was a lot of uh, names. Gifographic was one. Have you heard the term Gifographic? I don't know that I What's have. What's the other one? Motion graphic? Motion graphic. Definitely. Yep. Uh, so the, I've heard that. It wasn't that, though. It was something weird. Yeah, yeah, it was something else. Anyway, so the very first Gifographic or motion graphic I ever saw, this would have been in 2012. No, 2013, uh, was an infographic that... Uh, how an engine works. Okay. And then it showed like moving. I mean, it was in an infographic format. So it was okay. a long image. Okay. And then as you scroll down, it just goes you through each engine part. And they showed something very, very similar to this of pistons going. That's what it reminded me of. All right. But my very first question for you, what the hell is predictive marketing engines? Boy, it's a good question. <clears throat> so one of the things that we feel like a lot of our clients struggle with, they, you know, you talk about trying to quantify the return on their investment of marketing dollars. And so what we really specialize in is we try to figure out how can we take by channel, how can we quantify the investment, whether that's paid search, whether that's paid social, et cetera. And so what we do with our clients is we try to make sure that we've got all of the tracking mechanisms in place so that we can track from the top of the funnel all the way down for every dollar that you spend, what's your return on that investment. So that's, that's what we do. We build predictable marketing engines. At the end of the day, you should be able to say for every dollar I spend, this is the output that I can expect on that. So is that is that a term that you guys coined yourselves or is that something that's kind of out in the market it's and I just about, haven't heard of it? Yeah, it's kind of out in the market. I mean, I think one thing, I, I think what a lot of people want is they want that predictability, right? So whenever we say the word predictive or predictability, you know, we're typically, you know, talking to someone who understands the financials behind those marketing investments, right? So yeah, I think it's a term that you probably don't hear a ton of. And I think a lot of that is because some you know there's because nobody does that yeah, stuff, no one man. does that the stuff, only man. We're, that's it that's exactly right okay so yeah, so, so your home that's kind of like your pitch then right. i mean i mean it's the biggest thing on the page yep. above the fold first thing people see yep. we build predictive marketing engines you got it yeah cool. that's it 
So you had mentioned that you have specific industries that you target or focus on. Right. Does that mean that if someone comes to you outside of those industries, you say, no, thanks. We try, we really try to focus on those three industries, but what we will also do is, you know, as any other company, we're constantly trying to expand our service offerings and trying to expand, you know, what revenue and all of those other things. And so what we will do is we'll take a look at an industry and we'll test it and we'll understand the economics of it. And we've tested a few industries. Some of those still account for a small portion of our revenue, but for the most part, we really try to differentiate ourselves because we have that subject matter expertise in each of these industries. So we feel like that's kind of our secret sauce, so to speak, if you will, and what makes us unique is within those industries, we feel like we can tackle any phase where you're at in that business. So if you're a tech startup that's just looking to get started, they don't know where to start, mm -hmm. right? We have the expertise in-house to be able to take you from start to finish. Or if you're a tech company that needs help with only a few facets of your marketing, you know, that's in our wheelhouse as well. So where we really feel like we add the most value is when we can stick to those industries. Now that's not to say that we won't test others, but right now as it stands, those three industries really make up a majority of our revenue. Gotcha. Yep. So I, I, I want to dig into a previous statement about the predictive marketing. Um, what, what metrics do you guys use to measure, measure, measure success? Cause yeah. when I think about, I, I, we'll just call them regular agencies, right? Okay. I mean, rel, I mean, rel, I mean, clearly not a regular agency, not a regular not agency, even, right? But regular agencies, <laughs> you know, those schmucks who are using like everyday metrics, right? Uh, they're using things like, I mean, I mean, they've got like the normal KPIs with like, you know, traffic right. and uh, rankings or CPAs or or whatever, right? Like the right. normal things. But when we're talking predictive, yep. I imagine that there's got to be some additional set of KPIs yeah. that, w that, w that we're targeting that are attached to predictive so that predictive isn't just a fancy word we use to distinguish ourselves from the regular agencies, right. but we actually do things differently. Right. So what, what, what does that realm look like? Yeah, I think there's, there's obviously different metrics that people look at and try to measure what makes marketing successful. So we call them vanity metrics, right? So there's likes, clicks, impressions, traffic, and we feel like those are really good leading indicators to be able to say, okay, is this performing directionally? Are we hitting the right audience? Things like click-through rate, CPC, those are all really important metrics that you shouldn't ignore, right? No question about it. Really where we wanna be judged on whether or not we're being successful from a marketing lens is if we're making the cash register ring. So for a B2B company, that's typically closed one opportunities. That might be pipeline, but really at the end of the day, it's how many deals did you win and what's the lifetime value of that customer or what's the average contract value? So when we tie that back, we want to be able to take that down to the campaign level and if possible down to the ad level and even the keyword level, right? So when we say predictable, that's really what we're talking about. That's on the B2B side. On the B2C side, it's you know some of those metrics that you alluded to. It's what's it costing us versus what's the lifetime value of that customer, right? But really where it gets really important to make sure that that, uh, you know, your metric, your, your marketing funnel is set up correctly is so you can measure all the way upstream and then all the way downstream so that you really understand if I'm going to spend a dollar today and I know that my sell cycle is six months, 12 months or whatever, I need to be able to understand what the metrics look like, right? I need to be able to understand what my investment is and what the expected output is. So really when we talk about our, you know, the, the differentiator for us in our business, that's what we're talking about. Cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to pass it off to Brandon. I know I, I, I always talk way too much and, and he's the one with the better, <laughs> the better questions, but the direction I want to go eventually is I want to start getting into specific case studies okay. with uh, potentially certain clients that you're working with. Yeah. 
and what you've seen work and not work. Uh, and then at some point I'd really like to talk about, um, where, you, where your focus is, right? Like when we were an agency and it's not just agency, any in-house, there's always like a new trend that you're working on and that you're focused on that you're excited about. Uh, I want to know where relic is now, yep. what you guys are focused on, what you're passionate about, what, what you think the future of marketing is, whether it's this year, next year, next five years, and how you're preparing to be future proof in the way that you, uh, get new clients or in the way that you manage your clients or, or the direction that they're going in their marketing strategy. I like that. I do have a question that is in that realm. So when we get there, make sure I ask the question so I don't forget. Um, how, how, how do you want me to remind you? You just, just want say, me Brandon, saying, you had a question about, you had a question about this and then I'll be like, ah, oh, yes, I did. You're going to, forget. Uh, well, don't let me forget it. Cause it's, it's a good one. Uh, so I had one question a little bit out there. I like to ask this to a lot of just like agency people, because this was a question that I had early on in the agency days when Jacob and I were working in that industry. Um, just to get their opinion on. So we have like conferences, right? In, in this world where you go to conferences, you know, a lot of agency folks like to pitch, to speak at these things. And it's interesting because on one hand, I understand the, the motivation to where you want to go and you want to show off your, your secret sauce, so to speak, because the goal is that there's companies there in house who hopefully will approach you afterwards and be like, you're a genius. We want to hire you. Right. At the same time, everyone's going out there and like loading off their secret sauce and then everyone starts doing it and it becomes the new baseline. It gets yeah. ruined. And then now you're kind of like forcing yourself to like keep working harder. So there's that balance of like, we've got our secret sauce. Do, do, uh, do you have an opinion on just like that industry as a whole? Because that was always our thing is like, why are we being pushed so much to, and I, and I get it now and I don't really have like a strong opinion one way or the other. I just like to see where like where yeah. your mindset is on, yeah on this, on this world of like speaking and, and putting out your secret sauce. Yeah. Wait, sure. did you say you don't have a strong opinion about it? I don't have a strong opinion one way. Like I, I see both ways before, like when I went to like Wayne, for example, and I sent for, I, I asked that question, like, why are we going to New York to, to like, we just spent months developing this and this is working. Like we, we want us to go out and like tell the world that this is what's working. And now all of our competitors are going to start doing this for their clients and whatnot. And then it was always, you know, and he, he understood, but then there was the counter side of like, well, we, when we do speak, we always get clients. And so it kind of pays off. And then the, the hope was that everyone's going to learn this, but they're not going to execute on it. They're going to be like, this is cool. And then they're never actually going to do anything. We're going to execute on it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know where you kind of stand yeah. on that, uh, on this world of like conferences and speaking. Yeah. I think it's a good question. I think for us, we really feel like, you know, we have an abundance mentality. So what we feel like is even though you're certainly going to have that audience and you're going to have those individuals that take that content and they say, Hey, this is great content. I'm going to implement it. And there's no reason that I need to pick up the phone and call relic. I think I can figure this out and do this on my own. No question. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I think more often than not, the more that you share, there's just so much content out there. Everyone's trying to be a thought leader. Everyone's trying to share content. The more authentic and the more real you can be with sharing actual results and showing some of those case studies that you talked about, I think people get excited about that because what you talked a little bit about future-proofing, right? And really what the future of marketing looks like. I think that platforms are going to get easier and easier to use is my prediction, right? So paid search, Facebook, mm -hmm. we're already seeing that, right? AI is having a huge influence on those platforms. And I think that'll continue to get easier and easier for everyone to use. And so I think in order to future-proof, I think what's really difficult to replace with AI is strategy. So to your point, if you're on stage and you're talking about 
a setting that you adjusted in Facebook. Yep. I think that's, you know, there's probably not a ton of value and that's going to be easily replicated by someone in the mm -hmm. audience at that conference that they can take home and, and, you know, quote unquote rip off. But I think if you're up in front of everyone talking about strategy and really how to build, you know, evergreen content and build campaigns in such a way that if there are algorithm changes or if there are changes in the marketplace, this is how you insulate yourself. I think that's really what we try to do. So I think there's certainly going to be that segment of the audience that says, I can do this. I don't need yeah. these guys. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I think where we're trying to, where we're trying to go is to say from a strategy standpoint, there's no way that you're going to be able to do all the things and all the channels. Yeah. So I think that's where we can step in and add some value. Do you guys at Relic make it like, is, is that one of your emphasis like for growth, like to speak at X number of conferences a year? Or? Yeah. It's kind of like my uh, business book goal, right? We have the goal. We haven't been great at it. Right. Yeah. So that's something it's, it's, it's difficult because a lot of times we're trying to find the balance in terms of making sure that we've got really happy clients and growing the business so that doesn't, the growth doesn't put unnecessary pressure on employees and things like that. Right. And so as part of that growth strategy, no question that thought leadership is on our agenda. We haven't done a great job at it. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that for this year, it's a focus of ours for sure. Um, but I think that's an area where we could definitely improve. This, this actually goes into the, to another debate that we've had about uh, gated content or ungated yeah. content or non-gated content. Yep. Where do you stand? I think it depends on the situation, right? I think the, the, the content that you're providing, I think there's gotta be kind of this value for value proposition, right? So if I'm gonna give you my, my contact info, whatever I'm getting on the other side, it's gotta be worth my while for me to cough up whatever information you're asking for, right? So I kind of look at it like, if I'm gonna be able to get like an infographic, probably doesn't make a ton of sense to gate that, right? There's mm -hmm. not a ton of value there for me as the consumer of that content. But if I've got an in-depth study that's 60 pages long, maybe it's this crazy in-depth analysis that we put together, I definitely think that's content that should be gated, right? If I'm gonna give away content that someone probably would be willing to pay for anyway, like I don't have a problem gating that. And I think a lot of it kind of depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to build an audience, you're gonna retarget that audience, yeah, probably shouldn't gate the content. If you're trying to build your email list, yeah, obviously you're gonna need to, to gate that content. But I think ultimately, how we think about that is what's the value of that content and is it worthwhile for me as the consumer or as a potential, you know, customer to give you my contact info in exchange for what you're getting. Yeah. Your return. contact info is currency. You got and, it. And it's gotta, it's gotta be worth it. You got Where it. do you stand on that? I I'm back and forth depending on what I think if there's a huge SEO value, then I'm all for making it not gated. Um, for example, one of our most successful guides or downloads at Dev Mountain is the ultimate guide to picking a boot camp. Uh, it's highly successful because and, and, and highly most, biased. And <laughs> well, no, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure. We just happen to check all the boxes of or, or most of the boxes of a good boot camp. But <laughs> meaning, in our, we, based on our criteria for what a boot camp is, <laughs> we built our business around that. No, I will say it is pretty good. Uh, Sorry, and keep going. Okay, that, so but huge uh, SEO success. That one's not. So that one is, uh, that one, because there's not a lot of keywords of people like searching for that, they don't really seek that guide out because they're not really thinking about it. Uh, it it's not as great of an SEO play. Whereas on Facebook, when they see it and, and we like target people who are visiting other bootcamp websites or course, you know, review sites, stuff like that, 
then they they see it and they're like, yes, I got to have this guide. Then we have other pieces of content, uh, like we have the all uh, the I forget the beginner's guide to learning web development. There's tons of of keywords and phrases around learning web development that we want to be very and they're very top of funnel stuff. And that one we made, it's like 7,500 words long. Uh, it now ranks uh, between number one and number three for the term web development. And and that one we've done both. So it's kind of a hybrid. And one of the reasons was myself and my old boss couldn't get to an agreement on, he wanted to make it completely gated. I wanted to make it very SEO friendly uh, because at that time, Google was really like starting to favor long form content. So we just kind of agreed to meet in the middle because it was so long. I knew that most people are not going to sit in that page and read the whole thing. So we have several call to actions throughout the piece saying, uh, you know, download the PDF version of this. And that way, if you're getting halfway through, you're like, okay, I don't have time for this right now. I'll just go ahead and download it. And we actually see really good. So it's awesome because we get tons of search traffic, which then means we get a place, a cookie on their browser for other retargeting. But then we also still get a pretty good, amount of downloads for that guide and we don't have to like run paid ads for it. So there's, I, it really is, I'm not like a hardcore one or the other. Like it kind of just depends. Like I, I tend to lean towards SEO stuff that could just because I'm, I love search and the more free traffic, the better. Whereas if it's gated, you kind of have to plan on the pay to play for the traffic aspect. So yeah, I go back and forth, but uh, long form, if it's going to be long form type stuff, you might as well open it up and just put it out there and you still want to have a call to action on it. Like don't just rank and then not have some sort of way to collect their email address, but there's, there's, there's room for both. Yeah. I've also seen it <clears> to, <throat> excuse me. I've also seen it where you actually have both scenarios too, right? So you have it ungated. If someone goes to like your resource library on your site, that's ungated. Obviously you can access whatever guide, download infographic, etc. But then when you're promoting that piece of content, whether that be an email or maybe you're running some Facebook ads or mm -hmm. whatever, you gate the content that way. So even though you're serving an ad, they don't necessarily know without going mm -hmm. to your site that they wouldn't have to give you their contact info. So I've actually seen that quite a bit with a lot of the B2B clients that we work with hmm. too. So yeah, interesting stuff. My opinion is actually kind of unfavorable and that is no gates ever. You don't like the gates? Dang. Nope, nope, no gates ever. And here's why, there are a few reasons. One. Uh, I think gating things kind of cheapens it. And I, like, I get the idea of value, right? Yeah. Like if I'm asking for your information and, and I, I understand also that it works as a way of lead gen, right? Getting people's information. Um, but my mentality on that is, uh, give it a while, give it away for free, right? Meaning if you have the highest quality content, like that 60 page, uh, piece of content that you, that you mentioned, uh, give it to them for nothing. And then if you do that enough times, <clears throat> they'll see you one as a thought leader two, as, uh, in some ways, psychologically, they're like, Oh, I'm indebted to this company because they're giving me such good stuff for nothing that then you can start gathering their information for like an email list. Hey, we'll compile all this and send it to you. Right? So you can come here anytime and you can get it for free, but if you want us to compile it and, and, uh, and put this up in a really nice, give us your information, we'll send it to you. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I'm not a huge Gary V fan, but he wrote a book called jab, 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 right hook. And I love that. I love that. The, the idea of just give, 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 give. And then at some point you can ask for something in return, whether that's contact information or whether it's buy my product or my service or whatever. And they're so thrilled with how much content and value that, that you've given them 
that they're willing and able and, 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 and they would love to do that, right? And they become a fan. They become a customer. <clears throat> That's why. How does Free. asking for an email, though, cheapen it, though, compared to just having it? It's like, I agree with you for the most part, but the phrase you said of like, well, I I'll tell you this. Asking for email when when we talk about value for value, that's relative, right? Like I, I, I can say, this is amazing. It's going to be awesome. Give me your email address. And I think that it's valuable enough for it. They download it. And, and, and some people are like, this isn't even that good. I just gave yeah. them my contact information. Yeah. This isn't even that good. Yep. If you, you take that out altogether and you're just like free, they can't complain. Oh, this isn't exactly what I was looking for. Well, I'm never going to get an email from them. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's it what I'm abused. saying about Big it's time. totally oh, yeah, abused. No and, and, and people, yeah. people, I don't know. You think about the biggest brands ever. They don't get their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, HubSpot's pretty big. They get almost everything that they do. But HubSpot, I think, is a good example because they're, they, they do both. Like, and they usually hook you in with a really good article that's full of like actual... Usually you see one or the other where it's, it's a really good article and then like download this guide for the more advanced. It's like the same thing or it's watered down or it's a really crappy article because they're saving all the good stuff for the download, but then they never convince you to download it. HubSpot does a pretty good job at breaking it down where it's like they provide enough nuggets in the article where like that was pretty good. And then that was so good that man, there's this guide that goes the ultimate 21 step type thing to do this. Now I'm going to download it. So I feel like they do good, but I think what you described kind of goes in line with what we were experimenting with and I, or not nice floor at dev mountain. Uh, with the like, let's give them the full thing and the option. I noticed Moz does that with like the beginner's guide to social SEO. Like they give it to you on the web. And if you like it and you want to download the PDF, then you kind of have the option to do both. So I see where you're coming from. But yeah, I, it is tough because it is so abused that I think people become less and less keen on like, yeah, I'm going to give you my email for your generic. Yeah. PDF and like I said, it, wor it works. It, I mean, it works. It, sure. W my opinion is based on brand preference. If I started a company from a branding standpoint, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be associated with gated content. I don't think HubSpot needs to, I don't think they would need to. They've got such a cool brand that people kind of gravitate and, yeah. and really like them anyway. They wouldn't need to. I wasn't really planning on spending that much time on gated content, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, that, the value of the email address is so high though. Cause now you can yeah, close people exactly right. without having to keep paying to reach them. Yeah. But guess yeah. what? You can buy their email address. Just go buy their email address. If you want email addresses, you don't need Everyone owns everyone's email address. Okay, <laughs> gotta get that opt-in though, man. Get that opt-in. You're here breaking rules now. <laughs> no, man. There, are, there are companies out there that get the opt-in on your behalf. How do, you, how do you think buying emails works? It's not. I mean, do you buy a lot of emails? No, we don't. I don't know. I, you I don't seem do like email. a big fan. I, I did. I did at my last job. We bought a lot of emails, and it was awesome. That's true. Anyway, nice. okay. Nice. Should we go to? Case studies. Let's move on. Let's you have some it. cool case studies let's we can it. talk about? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, so um, I, I don't know exactly the direction that I want to go into. I imagine you'll probably pick the best case studies that make you guys look the best, which I'm, I'm okay You're with. You're okay with that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so pick, pick some of your, your favorite clients and tell us like what you did for them, what they came to you for, what you, what'd you measure, how'd you measure success? I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm on your website. I don't see any case studies. Maybe there are some here. There should be some on there, man. But yeah, I mean, I think for us, it really depends on the industry you want to look at, right? I think... We've actually, it's been a lot of fun, especially in the tech industry here in our backyard. It's been a lot of fun to take some companies that have raised a little bit of money. They knew they needed to be doing marketing, but they didn't necessarily know how they should think about it or how it could be measured. And so 
one of the fun things we've been able to do, um, there's a local tech company here, and I, I probably shouldn't mention their name just because I don't know that I have their permission to openly you do. share. You've got their okay, permission. Okay, cool. You've awesome. Got it. Nice. <laughs> Says the guy who doesn't want to get opt-in emails, right? That's right. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, they, they definitely knew they needed to be doing marketing. They just didn't know how to think about it. And so marketing for them was, hey, we hired this person to run marketing. Um, we've done some trade shows, and so that's marketing, right? And so for us, that was really exciting and a great opportunity for us to say, all right, look, this is how you should think about it. Let's make sure that we have everything in place for you to be able to track it so that you know that you can, for every dollar you spend, what the output's going to be. So we had a chance to sit down with them and look at their CRM. They're using Salesforce. So we said, here's how you should think about it. Here's how you should structure the campaigns within Salesforce so that as we generate leads, how, how are we going to track those and how are we going to be able to track the effectiveness of each of those, right? So in their mind, they understood that marketing was just like this nebulous thing that made things look pretty. That's the website, that's some trade show stuff. But what they didn't really understand, and their CFO, by the way, wasn't really excited about marketing because he couldn't quantify it and he couldn't really see the impact or the value. He had a sales that's team. That's because he's a finance guy. That's because he's a finance guy, right? But we ended up getting having a really good relationship with this guy because he understood that we were able to kind of build this model and say, all right, look, this is how we're going to track it. This is how we're going to report on it. So. That's that's actually been a lot of fun, and that's probably you know in the tech space that was a really fun opportunity for us to be able to prove our value. Can we really build predictable revenue engines? And you know we were able to do that, and we've been working with those guys for a couple of years now. So it's been a lot of fun. What what are some instances where you've just had major flubs? Yeah, one of the challenges that we run into. So you talked about the future, right? So if we were to say what we're working on today, what we really want to do, I think we're pretty good when we have a company that we're working with that is willing to share that closed loop marketing with us. So what I mean by that is we're, we're gonna generate the leads, but at some point there's gonna be a handoff, right? Like if you can't transact on the site, we can do everything that we're supposed to be doing from a marketing lens, but really we have to hand that off and hope that their sales processes is such that they can convert that lead and at least anecdotally provide reporting back to us and say, yes, this is working or no, it isn't, right? And so for us, I think where we've probably missed a couple of times is we haven't been really, really good about making sure that their sales process is dialed in and that their reporting is in a place where they can report back to us at a granular level. So for example, we had a client um, that actually fell outside of our three industries, right? So another kind of lesson around that. But uh, but basically what ended up happening- It's a big, yeah. It, it's a, right. Never go outside right. the three. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you never leave your wingman you mm -hmm. never go outside of those industries right but um but basically what we learned from that is we didn't have a great mechanism to be able to get that that feedback loop at a granular level so when things were going great it was awesome they said hey the lead, this is working we've got more you know customers than we ever had you guys are doing awesome but then all of a sudden when things weren't working we didn't have a great diagnostic tool to be able to sit down with them and say well is that us and if so which campaigns which channels is that on your end? How do we work together and optimize that? So one thing that we're really working on is for those customers or those potential clients that come to us, we're getting really disciplined about laying that foundation and saying, do you have a good reporting structure? If not, let's build it. Let's make sure that we're passing the data that we need to, but let's make sure more, more importantly that we can get that data back from you, consume it, and then surface that in forms of how do, where do we cut, where do we increase spend, where do we decrease spend? So that's what we're trying to focus on right now is if a customer comes to us and says, yeah, we just don't have the infrastructure to do that. We can say that's okay because we can help you build that. Here's how to do it. Here's the tech stack required to do that. 
So that's those are some of the things that we're working on. But I'd say that's where we've missed, I think, a few times is we've we've trusted that they have a good sales process and they very may, may well, but we didn't have a great tool to be able to say, hmm, is it this campaign within Facebook or is it this LinkedIn campaign? We don't know. We're kind of trusting that you guys could report back to us on that. So, so is that like an attribution problem? Like, I mean, let's, li- yeah. let, I mean, you said you learned from the experience, yeah. but you didn't go into like what the actual problem was. Yeah, I think it's an attribution problem. And also just being able to say, you know, because a lot of times people are in such a hurry. So a lot of our clients come to us and they say, hey, we really need to turn marketing on. We needed to turn it on yesterday, right? Just got some funding. We've got to grow. We've got these really ambitious, aggressive goals. And so early on when we first purchased the business, it was really tempting for us to say, oh, we can turn this on. Give us a week, right? Well, we've got a creative team. We're going to crank out some ads for you guys. We're going to be able to turn on ad spend. We'll get this sucker going. But the problem is, is we didn't take the time to really say, okay, do we have the visibility when we're running a paid search ad? Do we have the ability to be able to track that down and say, these are the best performing keywords based off of the data that we're getting from your CRM, based off of the disposition data that we're getting back? So I think that's something that, you know, it is, yes, it's an attribution problem, but I also think it's kind of a, you know, Dennis, you always refers to it as plumbing, right? I think it was a digital plumbing problem. We just didn't have the foundation laid in an effective way to where we could reach out and say, okay, you guys are doing well. Where are you guys seeing wins? Where are you guys seeing losses? And take that back to the mm-hmm. actual campaigns yeah. that we're running and ad spend. Where do we need to turn it up? Where do we need to turn it down? Did they scapegoat you? I mean, we've, I mean, that's, it's easy to do when you're an agency, right? I mean, it's easy to kind of throw them under the bus. Really hard to do so that. Easy. Really, right, Brandon? So easy. <laughs> really hard to do if you've got data. It's really hard to argue sure. with data, right? Yeah. So I think, again, that's where we probably made some mistakes early on, where if we've got really solid data, we've got their sales team saying, hey, your leads suck. It's like, well, actually, it looks like the leads are Actually, your good. sales team suck. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think, it's, I think that's one thing that we've learned, and I think that's one thing that we're trying to get. We've got a couple of ideas and solutions we're working on right now to kind of close that gap, even for companies that just don't have the infrastructure or the manpower to be able to do that. So what are those things? Well, I think it's really what we're working on is rather than building out something that's really uh, this crazy, beastly, proprietary technology that we force all of our customers to use, what we're doing is we're identifying a tech stack that works by industry, right? So let's say that we have a new industry that we feel like we are product offerings today at Relic would lend itself really well to. What we want to do is we want to go in and say, hey, instead of building this brand new piece of technology that you guys are probably never going to use, you, we're, you know, you're probably never going to get trained on. You know how it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, every company has so much tech that they bought. So instead, where are the best? So from a reporting perspective, what should we be using, right? From a CRM perspective, what's super easy to use? Instead of trying to, to deploy this really expensive instance of Salesforce, if you're a tire shop or let's say that you're you know, a doctor's office or whatever, your pro- Salesforce probably doesn't make sense for you, right? But let's mm-hmm. do something that's really easy to use, easy to, to, to deploy, but gives us that visibility into what's happening with the leads or with the traffic that we're sending you so that we can close that loop and really you know, get aligned with your sales efforts. Also, even teaching them what does that sales outreach and cadence look like? We've got enough data from working with a number of tech companies here locally where we should be able to go in and say, here's how many times you should be trying to contact a lead. Here's the sales outreach sequence that you should be doing. It should be phone call first, email second, LinkedIn, email third. So those are some of the things that we're working on on our end to be able to say, look, we want to be a consultative partner. We don't want to just be a, Hey, you want us to run your Facebook ads. We can do that. We'll do it well, 
But really what we want to be, again, you, you talk about the future. We feel like for us to be able to future-proof ourselves, it goes back to strategy. So if we can sit down and be a true partner with a, with a company or with a client, that's where we're going to win. And that's where we've seen the most success with our clients we work with today. The ones that treat us as a true partner and not just as a, hey, these guys are great for overflow work. Those partnerships just don't last, right? So mm -hmm. for us, it's really about the strategy. What can we bring to the table? Can we really truly solve these problems that these companies are facing? Makes sense. What are a uh, random question? What are yeah. some of your, like in the agency world, what are some of your biggest pet peeves when it comes to oh. dealing with clients? Yeah, I think one of the, there's uh you kind of have a, a we, you get a bit of a, a used car salesman, I think, uh, persona sometimes. Yep. I think when you sit down with someone, it was so funny. I was actually at, uh, at a conference. We're SEOs. I was, we get that. You guys get that, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So you guys can relate. Um, I was actually, uh, we were at an event and I was with my brother. My brother's a doctor. And the guy that was sitting across the table from us, he thought that we were both doctors. And he said, you guys are both doctors, right? And I'm like, oh, no, that's just my brother. I'm actually, I, I own an ad agency. And I might as well have said that I like murder people for a living. Like he just <laughs> immediately lost respect for me and only wanted to talk to my brother who was, you know, say, um, granted he saves lives and does amazing things. Right. So I totally get that. But I think what, what kind of doctor is your brother? He's an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I respect him already, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a lot smarter. Can, can he come on the show? He can. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be a way better interviewee for sure. Yeah. No question about that. But yeah, I think that's the other frustrating thing too, is I think, People aren't afraid to waste your time too, right? So it's, you know, hey, I've, I just kind of want to get a feel for what's out there. And, you know, so we get a lot of that too. Is that like an immediate red flag to you? I yeah. just want to get a feel. Okay, go feel somewhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's, there's a part of that. We're trying mm -hmm. to get better about that too, right? When we talk to people, it's, it's as much about us qualifying them as it is about them trying to qualify us, right? So when we first started again, it was, well, we need to grow the business and we need to generate revenue. So... You know, and it's amazing how that dynamic has a tendency to shift when you say, well, this might not be a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how that dynamic kind of shifts and all of a sudden it makes them want to work with you that much more. Right. So I think, you know, it's I think definitely we're, we're learning that as, as time goes on, too. Do you think that stereotype of this, uh, you know, the, the car salesman, uh, yeah. you know, digital agency type stuff, like, do you think it's always going to be? the case i mean i know like like you know at least back in 2012 you know seo you bring that term up and it's like ah you're like you're shake because they think of like you're building links for pill right. websites and weight loss and stuff like <laughs> right. that uh that was kind of like the association i i feel like it's gotten a little bit better yep. but do you think that's always going to exist or or is there a way to overturn that yeah. to where people are like oh yeah you're like uh you're edge that's really cool yeah it's a good question i think you know for us we kind of take it as a challenge to kind of prove that, you know, we're different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think we kind of take it on ourselves as, Hey, the bar has already been set low. So like if let us get, give us the opportunity to prove you wrong, that that stigma or that stereotype doesn't apply to us. I think, you know, we've done this to ourselves too, as an industry, because I think a lot of people claim to be marketing experts. You know, they watched a course online, uh, and all of a sudden they're the marketing expert. Right. And so I think that's, that's like market tricky. campus. No, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Yeah, perfect yeah, example. Yeah, I perfect, love that. Perfect example. Right. No, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I think that's, I think that's one thing that we've definitely done to ourselves. So I think, I think it's just, it gives us, I think, well, 
you guys as as you know legitimate marketers the opportunity to elevate above um, you know everyone else who says that they're subject matter experts right so yeah I, it's a good question I, I hope that that stigma doesn't stick around and I hope that yeah you know, yeah if I you I mean, it will always stick around yeah unfortunately yeah. yeah the thing I picked up out of that was um, if you're kind of a subpar marketer just start a podcast and you are a subject <laughs> expert yeah that was good advice uh, yeah no I'm glad we started this Brandon <laughs> yeah I mean, look what it did. Look at this perception that Jordan has. Right, right. Someone finally thinks we're legit. That's true. We are legit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So two two last segments before we end, uh, unless Brandon wants something else. I thought about this a few minutes ago. I want to talk about the culture of Relic and what you guys are doing to to work towards that. And then the last segment we'll do is the digital marketing roulette. And we'll explain that uh, when we get there. Cool. So as far as culture... So we, my team at 97, or whoa, <laughs> haven't been there a while. Yeah, why would we keep saying that? We never do this. I, I don't I think know. It's because we started out like before the show, like we're like, hey, we're both at 97 floor. Yeah. And we were both at Mastermind. That's true. The last couple the days. That's true. So, so we kept seeing the I've, logo a lot. I've, yeah, I know. I've been at Vivint almost three years. Uh, our team is about 30 people. That's the digital marketing team. We have 13 new headcount, new positions. This isn't like backfill. We're just growing the team like crazy. And culture is one of the biggest topics of discussion right now because you at you you grow by fifty percent, and and culture is on the line. Yeah. Right. There, yep. There's risk, so you have to make sure that you're hiring the right people. So uh, we have cultural pillars that we try to strive for, and you know we're not perfect, but we have these guiding principles. So uh, anytime I'm I'm interviewing, that's like my focus. I want to find the right person who's going to be the right cultural fit. So this is like top of mind for me right now. So when I think about Relic as an agency and kind of how agencies are perceived, whether that's in culture or perception or whatever, I kind of want to dig in. What's the culture like at Relic and how much control do you feel like you have over it? Yeah. And where where do you want it to go? Like what what are your ambitions for culture? Yeah, I think a culture is going to develop whether you want it to or not. And so I think, you know, my responsibility and you know our my my partner's responsibility is to help shape that right so a culture will develop whether it's going to be a toxic culture or a healthy culture and so i think our responsibility is to shape that and make sure that it's a healthy culture a lot of people talk about culture and they talk about like they give examples of why their culture is great and they say hey i have the ability to wear flip-flops and shorts right so for me that's not culture that has nothing to do with culture that may be a tiny tiny element of it but really it's about you know the people and so for us we're a small team, right? There's only 21 employees at Relic. And so for us, you let someone in that doesn't fit that culture, it's detrimental to the entire business. Pollutes right? so it, yeah, it for does, sure. absolutely. So we really try to protect that as much as possible. And I think a lot of that stems from my time at Pluralsight. They are definitely always talking about culture and they're very deliberate about it. So the way that they talk about culture, the way that they interact with other people is very deliberate. And so I think for us, that's one thing that I definitely took away from Pluralsight was, man, the value of culture is paramount to these guys. And it led to some amazing relationships that I still have. In fact, tonight, I'm going to go have dinner with a bunch of guys that I used to work with at Pluralsight. And that's been, you know, it's been almost three years since I've, I've worked there. So how long does it take to get that kind of relationship with you where you get invited to dinner? That's a, you know, I, you typically after one podcast. Oh, is that all? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Not very long. Keep that in mind. Nice. Carry on. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, but I think, you know, from a culture perspective, I'd say the culture at relic, one thing that we worked really hard on is we have an employee net promoter score. And so we send out an anonymous survey and, you know, we've had for the most part, we've gotten really, really positive feedback. 
But, you know, just like any other critical feedback session, if you guys have one-on-ones or whatever, you always have a tendency to say, that's great, all this good stuff that you're saying that I'm doing well. What's the negative feedback? And so we've tried to hyper-focus on that. And look, we're not perfect. We understand we're learning just like anybody else as owners of of the business. But we really try to take employee feedback seriously. And we try to implement recommendations, suggestions, as long as it's going to improve the experience for everyone, we take that very seriously. So we have a lot of fun. And I think as an agency, man, if you don't have a fun culture and a fun environment, your customers feel that. And I think your growth just, just starts to become stagnant. So, so we really try to focus so I haven't, on that. I haven't done this. Yeah. But if I went to Glassdoor, what would what would it say about yeah, Relic? I, I think you'd have, I mean, for the most part. Is there enough think, information in there? I don't know. Do you yeah, look at Glassdoor? We do. We try not. I mean, there's definitely. We try not we to. We try not to. <laughs> we try not to. No, I think there's, you probably would find some positives. And I think there's going to be some negatives on there too, just like any other business, right? But I think for the most part, what we try to do is we try to take as much of that feedback and we try to, you know make changes as we need to. And so I, I think that's, that's 3.7, man. That's not bad. It's not terrible. No, it's right? not. not. It terrible. really isn't. I, yeah. It's, it's better than average for sure. Okay, good. That's eight, what we strive to be. Eight reviews. Better than average. So, I mean, out of the, tw- uh, how long have you guys been around? We've been around as relic for about a little over two and a half years. And how, how many employees, I mean, you have 21 currently, yep. but how many people do you think have come through in that oh, two and a half man, years? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe 40 or so, something like that. Maybe. Okay. Maybe so that's aggressive. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, you talk about, I mean, that's about, you're at 50%. I'd say retention is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, first review, my favorite job by far. Yeah. That's also probably their Holy first cow. job, but like, you know, that's, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. It's right? nice just to get a paycheck. Right. Yeah, that's exactly true. Right. I'm glad that you thought of that. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Hopefully that's not true. Rewarding work with a young company. Yes. Dude, yeah. this is, yeah, this is great. Cool. I'm trying to find an, oh, here's a negative yeah. one. Wouldn't recommend. Dang. That's, that's all, they, all said? they said. That person. And then they they that's it. Pros. Lower level employees are nice. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Jordan, you're you're a dick, man. <laughs> but the lower, lower level. level people, super nice. Yeah. Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, cons. Owner is self absorbed, arrogant, and hi, uh, hypocritical. There are two owners, right? There are. There's there's actually so there's three. There's a fifty yeah, percent chance. Thirty three percent chance they're talking about you. It probably is me. Look, I'll, look, that's probably me. That is so funny. <laughs> I, I'm going to do this more. I've never done this yeah, before. I've like, never I don't pulled know. This is such that a good a, idea. That yeah, is a fun know. segment. <laughs> no, I like... Uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I won't... Uh, one, I, won't I, won't, I won't read it anymore. One question I have is, what do you do as an agency, like upper level to... Because I think there's a there's a burnout that can happen for, sure. for agency employees. I yep. mean, I'll, you know, you look at a company like Boostability, where even every Boostability employee I talk to, it's like, it's churn and burn. Yep. Like, there's yep. a process. It's just like... You're managing 80 plus clients yeah. and whatnot. And even a nice and floor, like nice and floor is pretty good about keeping smaller teams, higher quality service. Yeah. But even still, I mean, when I left at that point, I had, I don't know, five to eight clients and there were, you know, there were high level clients, but there's that, there's that, that burnout that can happen when your mind's just jump from client to yeah. client. What do you do to try to avoid that with employees to retain those really high quality employees that looking at an in-house position? So enticing because it's like i gotta focus on one company all day how do you kind of combat that i think a lot of it too is just really there's pros and cons right to working for an agency and i think one of the pros is making sure that you have the opportunity to see a lot of different companies Mm -hmm. and be able to solve a lot of different marketing problems and so we really try to be pretty authentic in the interview process we say look this isn't for everybody we totally understand that 
here's the reasons why Relic is awesome. Here's the reasons why some people get overwhelmed and have, because mm-hmm. you, you got to split your brain multiple ways and think about different clients and different channels even within that, right? Yep. So for some people, agency life, it just doesn't make sense, right? It's just never a good fit. So we try to be pretty open and honest and authentic during that interview process and say, look, here's what it is. Here's what it isn't. And we want to make sure that you're comfortable mm-hmm. with that. And so we try to set proper expectations. I think at the beginning when we purchased the business, I think we tried to figure that out quite a bit, right? And so yeah. I think we made some mistakes, but I think that's something that we've definitely learned as we've gone along and say, okay, if we can set expectations up front and make them understand what the opportunity at hand is, it's a great opportunity. If you want to learn various tactics, if you want to learn yeah. various channels, there's no better place than an true. agency to be able to do that, right? It's true. So I think there's some pros, but to your point, there may come a time, right, in an employee's life where they're like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Yep. I want to focus on one client, and that's okay too. And so what we try to do is whenever it's time to part, we just want to make sure we've got a good relationship. I want to be able to see someone in a grocery store or be able to go to dinner with them or whatever and have that relationship. So we try to keep things very open and honest, and I think the underlying theme is really authenticity, right? So if we're honest with them they're honest with us and Mm -hmm. you know, the relationship works. Yeah. I definitely don't like working at an agency, but I really like hiring people from an agency. So one of these reviews says that you do free lunch every Friday. We do. Yeah. We do. Why didn't you mention that earlier? I I should have, man. Holy cow. should have, man, what a missed opportunity. So yeah, we do. Again, one of the things that we, you know, we, we honestly, this is, uh, I think this was even a piece of feedback that we might've received from an employee, but we do free lunch every Friday. It's kind of a big thing. Feedback. He's like, Jordan, I, I'm like hungry, man. Like, give me some <laughs> like, food. I, I, What's wrong? With I'm hungry. Yeah, so, 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 so now you do. So, where do you? Where's it? Like, you cater it or we what? Do, well, so you take them out. It's kind of a big deal, right? So, usually, I would say our productivity on Friday has to be the lowest of any of the days because usually, well, that's the case whether you give that, them lunch or you know, not. That's a good point. That's a good point. But basically, what happens is, uh, you know, the we've got a person, uh, Ann Janelle, who's awesome in our office. So she's the one who kind of handles that process. She picks three or four different restaurants and then she puts it to a vote. So within Slack, people are like trying to, you know, buy votes and things like that. And so it gets, it gets a little political, but then basically they decide <laughs> where we're going to buy lunch from the, from on that Friday. And then political. she goes and get, and like you got lobbying oh, and, yeah. and people are buying votes. <laughs> totally. It gets wild. Dude, yeah, I love that, man. Wild. That's my kind of environment. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So last segment of the show, digital marketing roulette. For those of you who haven't heard of this before. We're going to pull out our roulette table. Brennan's uh, pulling that up right now. Yes, sir. There are 30-something slots on a roulette table. We've got 30-something corresponding random questions. These can be marketing-related. They're just kind of fun questions that we ask our guests. And uh, Brennan has prepared these. It'll land on a number. He picks a corresponding question, and we'll throw it out there. I'm nervous. Should I be nervous? $10 if it's on red. Black 28, buddy. Dang. Too bad. Maybe next time. Okay. Good news, though. Three brand new questions added to the cluster of questions. Never been asked before and all yes. marketing related. By the way, yes. I, I'm 100% going to add Glassdoor segment to the show from now on. That is good. I like that. Put people in the hot seat. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm not going to tell them before. So you're our yeah, guinea pig smart. today. I appreciate that. I was good to be the guinea pig. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 10. What's the question? Number 28. Oh, number 28. Yeah. Uh, what is the most, in your opinion, what is the most overrated marketing metric or one of that just comes to mind? Oh, man. I would say 
likes. It's got to be likes. I was going to say likes or views. I probably would go likes or views. Yeah. Views on like a social post like a, or like a web page or, yeah. or both. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think all of the above really, but yeah, like has to be up there for me. That's got to be one of the most overrated metrics. I would say, I think people like we still talk to people that are really excited about the number of likes and engagement, don't get me wrong, engagement's important, right? Well, but like, man. It, I mean, it's called a vanity metric for a reason, right? right? Because people are vain. <laughs> right. So people that like that, there's something called like anxiety. When you don't get likes, all of a sudden you're like, you feel rejected. So I get it. Yeah. But yeah, it's worthless for sure. Agreed. You have a metric that comes to mind for you? Well, I said like before he did. Oh, you're going to stick with like? No, I'll say something else. All right. If you want. Let's mix it up. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pick something from like email. Revenue. <laughs> revenue. Overrated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lifetime value. Uh, no, I'm going to say, um, I have no idea. I'm going to, I'm just sticking with likes. I don't know. Okay. Two that come to mind. Well, one that came to mind while you guys were talking was a subscriber count for YouTube. Oh yeah. Um, because I'm realizing like some of our best micro influencers that work with, uh, they have like the smaller set of uh, subscribers but they're consistent in their uploading and we get lots he's of just saying this because he has a youtube channel no. and uh he has what thirty five thousand subscribers to this youtube channel Not quite and, and he's having he's he's plateaued and he's just uh, like there's got to be a reason okay. oh that's no. right Subscription, that's God. not that important. No, I do have a video that's taken off right now, just so you know. <laughs> YouTube TV review. Anyway, that one came to mind, but the one I was thinking before was actually just ranking, uh, like ranking position. I almost said Google. that. I yeah. almost said yeah. that. Yeah. I almost yeah. said that. I, uh, uh, dang it, I wish I had said that. The reason I didn't say it is because there's still value in ranking. E- if it depends like i oh i feel like the the better alternative is uh organic traffic like how much actual traffic because there's so many times where people would come like you know in the agency setting where it's like yeah here's the, here's the keywords that the last agency was optimizing for and it's like yeah you're gonna rank number one for all these because your name's in all of them or there are terms that are like you made up and you're wanting to rank for those and no one else is, is using those terms Versus, so like ranking number one for those really has no meaning because you might be getting like five visits a month versus if you rank for this long tail keyword uh, and you're getting 500 visits a month. Like, so like, I feel like organic traffic is like, if we're seeing organic traffic is going up, we shouldn't really care what we're ranking for. I don't know. That's my opinion. No, no, no. I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm not, obviously like you can't trump traffic. That's like when the rubber hits the road, that's legit. Like, I'm not going to say that. The reason I say ranking still matters is because in certain instances, well, it's a couple of reasons. One, when you think about a funnel, right? You have top of funnel, middle of funnel, lower funnel, bottom funnel, whatever. There are metrics associated with each part of the funnel. Well, in an organization, you have a funnel as well, and that's your hierarchy. And when you think about a hierarchy, like top of funnel would be like the CEO, and then you get down to the bottom and you've got like the tactician executioner of the strategy that, that has come down the pipe, right? Well, those metrics are the same thing, right? Yeah. So when you talk about ranking and traffic, those are in two separate parts of the funnel. So people in a higher position, they don't need all the details. They may they may want traffic and that's helpful in some in some situations. But when you give a specific keyword, and in my case it's like home security, which is our, our number one sought after keyword, home automation, you know, a surveillance camera, we know that there's significant volume there. So when I talk to my VP and I'm like, Hey, we're at, we're at number two today. He can automatically know, 
okay, cool, we're heading in the right direction. So I'm I'm reporting on metrics that correspond with his spot in the hierarchy. If I'm talking to someone else lower down, right? Yeah, I'm going to be talking traffic. I'm going to be talking, you know, conversion rates and things like that. So that's why I think it's 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 more important is you have to cater the the metric to the person you're talking to. And in some cases, you don't have to get into the nitty-gritty with like, you know, a CMO or something. All right, fair enough. Jordan may disagree. I mean, maybe he wants to know traffic, <laughs> but some people don't care about that stuff. Okay, yep. right, next here question. We go. You like this roulette table? I like it, man. I can't believe you fit it in here. That's crazy. Awesome. Nuts. <laughs> Brandon has to lug this. It's like a hundred pounds. Oh, it looks heavy. Yeah, I had to buy a new car just to fit it in, so I could haul it over here every time. Yeah. I okay. Where just, did I land? Yeah. Do I get my ten bucks back? Red. Uh, red ten. Red All right, I get it back. There we go. Okay. All right. Um, question number 10 is, okay, this one's, like I said, it's a new one. This okay. is the geekiest one of all of them. And I've uh, never seen, I've, I haven't seen these questions. Okay. Hopefully uh, this one makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. How about you read it real quick <laughs> well, and the make way sure. I, let me preface. So we just to, so we're all on the same page. We have like multi-click attribution models, right? So yeah. I can see that they first discovered us from a Facebook ad and then they went to an email and then they finally searched us and they, and, and that, and they bought. Yep. So there's, there's first click attribution. There's last click attribution. If you could only have one for all of your metrics, so you can only see the first click or you could only see the last click of what's actually closing the sale. What would you pick? Wait, you have two options or oh, is multi? You have multi -touch so you only pick one or the other. So like there's first no multi doesn't oh, exist. No. Okay. You can only no see the first attribution. None of that. It's just first or last. You can see the first click oh, of like when man. they discovered you or the last click okay. that actually like closed okay. the sale, so yep. to speak. I'm, coffee's for closers. I'm going last click. Well, I'm here's the thing is click. honestly, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Why right? so? Why does it matter? If you don't know, because if I, I, the only way you would know that it's the first click is because you just chose first click or you just yeah. chose last click. That's it. There's no other information. It like, but why does you, it matter? But if you had to pick one, well, yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd pick one, but it wouldn't matter. I'd flip a coin and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what I'd pick. That's it's, tough. Well, it's, it's one of those would you rather's where they both. I mean, I like, suck. I like his coffees for like, at least there's some rationale there. But I mean, it took him two seconds to say that he didn't like. It doesn't take thought because it doesn't matter. Right. It's a well, lead it's is a lead at that point. Closers quote is just a good quote. Well, let me ask you this: <laughs> if you if you pick last touch, can you see every touch before then? You no. just oh, you only yeah, see last, last touch. touch. Yeah, okay, so touch. if you only see last touch, then it looks exactly like seeing first touch. No, because you could see first touch like, oh man, Reddit's our first touch, but then you don't know like, are those Reddit people actually buying? So you could be like, let's invest in Reddit. And then you're investing in a channel nope. that's not actually getting nope. sales. Executive decision. <laughs> Wipe this down. question yeah, out. Go the next one. All right. Okay. All right. I got to get, where's the balls? First of all, so we do neither of those at Vivint. We do a, what we call modified last touch. Oh, nice. Which means it's always last touch unless they touched a paid channel and they will always get the attribution. But it's the last paid channel, though. That it's the last paid conversion. channel. Okay. Yeah, it's the last paid channel. But if someone yep. goes, if someone goes email, organic, yeah. Facebook, organic, and and paid, and then back to organic, it'll always be that paid. Last paid channel. It'll always yeah. be the paid. Which I understand from like a monetary standpoint, they want it to always like seem cheaper. But at the same time, I don't own a paid channel, so why am I getting? Any guesses on the color, Jacob? No, who cares? I mean, you can, I guess you can't see the board, but. It's a red 14. 
So here we go. Last question. I will yeah. make sure to never ask that question again in the future. Yeah, get rid of that. Crap. Take it out of the database here. All right. In fact, in fact, moving forward, I need to vet all these questions. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be the legal team of this show. I could. Uh, this could easily be. Well, I'll just word it. This, this is two <laughs> questions. This, this is two questions in one. Favorite and least favorite marketing conferences. Ooh. Oh, I, I like this. I like this. My Approved. Fa- <laughs> my favorite marketing conference. Have you guys ever been to uh, B2BMX before? I have not. B2BMX? B2BMX? Yeah, it sounds like a bike show. It's not. It's actually no, a B2B I've never, I've never even heard of it. It's actually pretty good. It, the thing I like about it is it's a, it's a more intimate B2B show. So if you're into demand gen, it's typically in Scottsdale. There's a lot of good so serious decisions. There's a lot of like really good uh, topics there. That's probably one of my favorite just because it's a little more intimate. You can do a little bit more hands-on, um, which I like. My least favorite... Um, I used to do a decent amount in the affiliate space. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to like affiliate summit before. I don't know if that's one. Our of my affiliate team goes every year. Heard yeah, of that. I don't know if that's like one of my, they favorites. just got back from LeedsCon. Yeah. I, oh yeah. I've been to LeedsCon. So affiliate summit that's in Vegas too, right? Yeah. Vegas. And then they have one in New York. Dude, for well. some reason, every affiliate conference is in Vegas oh, in and Vegas. maybe it's because shady, shady industry for shady <laughs> city. I don't know. <laughs> I grew up in Vegas. Brandon loves Vegas, but still it's super shady. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. What about you? Uh, my favorite. You, I know you have an opinion on this. Oh, I totally do. So I'll start with my least favorite. So there's I'm gonna a, guess inbound. Okay. So I was gonna I was gonna preface this by saying if it's if it's a conference that people need to know about that's like substantial has a lot of people it'd be inbound for sure. The other one that no one's really heard about that's really focused on the e patient because I was in I was in the medical space in my previous job. Uh, I think it's called e-patient actually. Uh, I can't remember. It was in Philadelphia. It was like a two day conference. I went for maybe f- four hours and I walked out and just had a vacation in Philadelphia. It was, I, I probably learned more about digital marketing to e-patients walking around Philadelphia than I did for the four hours that I was sitting in that conference. Interesting. Interesting. Best conference uh, for digital marketing or just marketing in general. Marketing. Modscon's pretty good. I've heard good things about Mozcon. I've gone the last three Never years. Mozcon's pretty. So cool. I'm not the right guy for this question. I mainly ask it out of interest because because you don't go to a lot of conferences. I don't go to a lot. So if I had to, out of the ones I've been to, you've been to Mastermind. I have been to Mastermind. You've been to some SMX. 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 Yeah. Um. Uh. DMC. Utah. Okay. DMC. Yep. Um. And then. Man. Any social media ones? Content marketing world is going on right now one other in San one. Diego. We've got a team down there right now. Yeah, not many. Okay, conferences. so so out of those lame ones you've been to, what which ones are your favorite? Mastermind was pretty good. This last one, yeah. it was it was uh, pretty the, good. The lineup was really good. It was, and I like the intimate. I'm not I'm not <laughs> huge on intimate. The, well, it's just mm. like I got to know like half the people there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really. Whereas intimate. you know you go to a twenty thousand people conference, you're just like a number yeah. walking around being shoved into. That's why inbound was so lame. Different sessions, yeah. I, and I've heard good things about Moz, MozCon, so I, I would imagine I would like that a lot. Uh, least favorite, uh, man. This round, this last round of DMC, I wasn't super impressed with. Like the speaker lineup, there were so, and I like spent like half a night writing feedback when they sent me the really survey. So hopefully the last, and I was like kind of harsh on some. I feel bad. Like I would like to take some things back, but bless the hearts of those who put it together. Obviously, bless the I was not a fan of the theater aspect, sitting on a theater chair the whole time. Oh yeah. But uh, I still say SMX. The one I went to wasn't super great. It was just a lot of fluff and whatnot. So 
it's a tie between the two. Okay. Not, I know there's DMC people that listen to this, so I feel I feel bad. Yeah, calm down, but there, buddy. It was, so I'll go ahead and pick <laughs> SMX uh, as the DMC worst is one awesome. You guys are great, doing a good job. Yeah, you guys are awesome. I love it. Be back next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, next year. Okay, Just we're out of time. Speakers. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show, Thanks man. For having me, guys. Such a good episode. Wow. I loved the energy. It was awesome. Cool. Uh, uh, something I forgot to say at the beginning: we are recording at the Stone Sheba downtown Provo. Uh, if you are interested in starting a podcast uh, and need a creative space, look it up, thestonesheba.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you are listening on. If you'd like to reach out, our email is inbound at belowthefold.io. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. That's all, folks. Boom. Boom.